You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also make you feel totally in control? Enter Conair Girlbomb. They're like your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results. Made just for us. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip to the professional-grade blades, say goodbye to settling for less. With Conair Girlbomb, you get the precision and power that used to only be exclusive to men's tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb, available at Walgreens. When I was going for my last interview at the Crime Commission, I had to do what they called a psychological with Dr. Guy. Now, everybody had warned me about this guy, that he was gonna make me wait in the waiting room for a long period of time, and then when he finally brought me in, where I sat was gonna matter. He had a rocking chair, then a sofa, and then this lazy boy chair. So whatever you picked to sit on mattered and he was gonna do this whole profile on you just based on that. And if you chose the sofa, whether it was to the far right or far left or in the middle, told him something else about you. So I thought, I'm, I'm prepped, I'm ready. This guy's not gonna fool me. He's not gonna get under my skin. They've already told me he's gonna make me pick who I prefer, my mom or my dad, all these things he's gonna throw at me. But I was still not prepared. <laughs> he hands me a brand new yellow legal pad and tells me to write down every single person I've ever had sex with. In my mind, I'm like, if my list is too long, that tells him one thing. If my list is too short, it's gonna tell him another. And if I do my true list, he's gonna think I'm a liar. So I used the only gift I truly have, which is my humor. And I looked right at him and I said, um, I'm gonna need some more paper. At that point, he kind of smiled and took the legal pad from me and said, okay, start to count backwards from 100 by three. So I felt pretty confident I was gonna be okay. But when you talk about sex, people sometimes get uncomfortable. But I got two guests tonight. They ain't uncomfortable. We're grown. We are ready. And tonight we are going to, you know, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about corruption. And then we're going to talk about more sex. And then we might throw in a little murder because that's what this is tonight. We are going to be talking about the Long Island serial killer in a way that has not been discussed that I think is prevalent because when you're an investigator, Everything matters. And if you are not up to speed on the Long Island serial killer, we have some other episodes that experts can bring you up to speed very quickly. But tonight, we're not doing the background. 
We're going to start right here from where we are and to help us break down sex parties, sex workers, police corruption, and the role that these play in the Long Island serial killer investigation, we have two guests, the one and only Joshua Schiffer, Georgia State Law School grad, former public defender, now in private practice. He's a regular on court TV with Judge Ashley, and he bases his whole career on Ben Franklin's Doing Well by Doing Good. We have with us TV host and executive producer of Investigation Discovery, True Crime with Aphrodite Jones. She's a best-selling New York Times author. She was an investigative reporter with Fox News. She was also a crime correspondent with America's Most Wanted. And y'all know she has a panache of telling it like it is. Hey, Cheryl. So nice to be with you tonight. Hey, Matt. And thank you so much. And Aphrodite, I'm just thrilled. I've got a giant smile on my face seeing you. Matt, this is just awesome. And what a subject. This is as juicy as it gets. Absolutely. Sex, love, murder without the love. <laughs> or a weird kind of love. It's not a love that I'm down with, but clearly yeah, no. there's a little population out there where this is real familiar territory. Yeah, it's called Love and Nastiness is what I think it is. Hey, I'd watch that show. <laughs> love and Nastiness. <laughs> Listen, I tell people all the time, there's no such thing as a part-time serial killer, rapist, or child predator. But there's also no such thing as a part-time pervert. They are constantly researching, hunting parties, hunting people, buying things, developing their own kits and that sort of thing. This is something they do all the time. Let me tell you something. If you have to build a special room in your house to host any type of hobby, that tells you right there how involved you are. One of the things that you know people need to understand is this is so far removed from what psychologists and mental health professionals would consider normal or healthy sexual behavior. It's shocking now to hear everybody out there is going, oh, he was just such a quiet, normal guy and nothing was wrong, except we keep finding out about these things like visitors to the basement that aren't allowed to go back there and some other stuff that just doesn't make sense. You're 100% right. These people that are inappropriately sexually developed and act inappropriately or criminally when it comes to their sexual activities, they leave huge trails. It is a time-consuming, lifestyle-consuming interest, and it's a small percentage of the community, but it's there, and that's the important part. People know a lot more about these allegations than they've come out and talked about and hopefully with some good police work, we're going we're gonna to get these facts firmed up. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, Cheryl, when you talk about there's no such thing as a part-time pervert, there's no such thing as a part-time serial killer. In this case, you know, you have the serial killer meets a perverted Suffolk County chief of police who the, these two forces collide and ultimately, I believe these two met each other. I believe that this guy, Burke, um, who went to prison for his sex crimes, um, in this small community that we're talking about, swingers, um, perverse um, sexual orgies, whatever's going on with these people, they he had the description of this 
killer. He knew this killer was a huge giant of a man. How many people with that description would fit? That's what I want to know, Cheryl. That's an excellent point. And I, I want to say this to both of you. Both of you, especially in your hometowns, are recognized people. People know who you are. Aphrodite Jones, if I go into a restaurant and you are in there, I know you immediately. Joshua, there are posts and memes about your glasses alone. If, if I go to trapeze tonight and the two of you are there, we're going to look at each other and be like, oh, okay, well, we're never going to speak of this because it's, the community is too small. It's too small. There's no way they didn't run into each other, possibly. It's my old joke as to why I could never, ever go to one of those clubs, even if I wanted to, because I'd be afraid I'd turn around and the mask would come out. I'd be like, hey, judge. Yeah, no, you, your wife really is nice. Uh, I'll see you. <laughs> no, you not got to do that, y'all. Exactly right. It's just, <laughs> so take a city the size of Atlanta, which depending on where you want to set the boundaries is, you know, a million people, three million people. You're talking about a, a community of active sexual swappers that you're going to list in the thousands because it really is an insular community. I'm familiar with it, unfortunately, due to some casework. And I actually did a lot of work in the adult entertainment space early in my career uh, due to a friend of mine being an executive in it. And people don't understand the money, the, the popularity, the exclusivity that people will pay for in order to get involved in some of these activities. And I, it, it boggles the mind that everybody involved in the, in the sex swapping universe of Long Island wasn't aware there was a serial killer in their midst. So I'm with you. These people knew about each other, knew what they were supposed to be looking out for. And this was a topic of conversation for over a decade. Yeah. The former chief of police, James Burke, now, you've got more than one case that you know, if you're any kind of investigator, has got to be linked together. You know it in your gut, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't just have all these bodies turn up on Gilgo Beach and there's no connection, especially three of them are found on the same day. Come on. Okay, and then you got a chief of police saying to the FBI, nah, we don't need your help. Well, anybody that looks at that would say, wait a minute, this guy doesn't want the FBI's help for what reason? Like, I understand a little bit of turf war, but come on now, these are federal resources for what is, I guarantee, an economically strapped police department. They want more bodies. They want more technology. Why you say no when facing an ultra-complex, horrific crime that's gripped your community? No, man, doesn't pass the, sniff, the smell test. Not at all. And, and here's the thing. Even the judge, when this guy was later sentenced for his crimes, his sex crimes, um, you know, cover up rather of sex crimes, he said it was mind boggling to him that this man turned down the FBI and sent him away. And, you know, there's early evidence, early. Uh, he's doing whatever he can to subvert justice because he's got his own crimes to cover up. He sure don't want them in his house. I can tell you that. And by house, I mean police department. Because, you know, here he starts as a patrolman in 86. He's promoted to sergeant by 91. By 2000, he's a lieutenant. I mean, he is going up the ladder, this guy. And you never know 
if he had other people that he had worked with during those formative years that were also part of this or showing him the ropes as to how you hide stuff. You know how much I love my police. I represent a bunch of them and they love nothing more than suing and going after the bad cops that hurt everybody. And I won't be surprised if we learn some additional names of people that might have brushed up against this that are no longer in law enforcement. And, you know, when you look at a person's record, there are some things that are going to stick out with this guy. And he had some IAs where he violated a person's civil rights, that he obstructed justice. But if you look at why those rights were violated, someone stole a bag from him that he used at the gym. And in that bag were sex toys and some other items. Yeah, the other item, Cheryl, was a videotape of women who were bound and gagged and being sexually tormented. That's what was on that videotape. That was what was in that gym bag. Now, you see how she talks? That's, that's how you know something is relevant. So, yes, absolutely. He doesn't want you to know the porn that he has, as well as the Viagra as well as the sex toys, because you're going to now find something out about me. And what you're finding out about me is I can't hide it. This stuff isn't at home in the secret box on top of the shelf on the back end of the closet. This is in my gym bag, in my police car. He takes that, you know, that heroin addict, that Logue, the young heroin addict, and practically beats him to death. And a, and a subordinate officer, a rookie cop, says to him, you got to stop. I mean, this man was uh, fearless. He felt he was untouchable. He felt he could do whatever he wanted. And I guess it didn't matter. A heroin addict, whatever, he could beat him to a pulp, and he did. And, and I think it reflects on one of the problems with uh, our underpaid officers and undersupported law enforcement. If we had better funding for law enforcement, we wouldn't end up with these institutionalized guys that sneak through and never get called out for their bad stuff. If you want to get real existential and meta on this, this is the perfect reason why we need to pay police officers double their salary and make that job aspirational. Make it so that we're fighting to be good cop. Amen. Amen. So in 1995, there's an IA where then Sergeant Burt had had a month-long relationship with a convicted prostitute and drug dealer. Now, here's, here's the deal. Y'all all know, for years before somebody's ever arrested, there are rumors, especially in law enforcement. This came to no shock from the people that he worked with. No, because they thought he was already a sociopath, the way he acted around the office. And you know, um, you know, he had later, we find out from people who came forward, that he had set up a makeshift bar, makeshift bar in his office that people were drinking at night. The guy was using staff members to chase his ex-girlfriend and her exes around and follow and, and, and I don't know what all was going on there. I mean... They, they literally described him as somebody who was had a reign of terror in his his force. He had 2,200 people working for him. Think about the, the, the power that this man wielded and threatened people to and demoted people that he didn't like. And Joshua, let, I want to ask you a question as a as a defense attorney. You know, when somebody makes a threat and it's kind of veiled, like, oh, I could just kill my husband. But they're not meaning that. But he was so specific. He threatened to kill someone with tainted 
heroin. The inability of the system to identify and appropriately discipline officers like this is at the heart of the valid arguments we hear from the anti-police, anti-law, because unfortunately, these things happen. And we see a 2,200-person department that can't rid itself of this cancer. And that's because of the personal relationships and the fear and the intimidation. Think about it. If you're that good spouse that just goes to work, you're going to go home and say, hey, my boss was doing all kinds of hinky stuff behind the back involving sex and people. And, uh, you know, and he's still going to be there. You don't want to tell your wife that. You, 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 you don't want your family to worry about that. So it's just another way that these kind of people hide in plain sight and everybody gives them the pass until they finally get the bandage ripped off with a tragedy like this. And it's awful. And it's a tiny minority of officers and it would be in any industry. We just can't miss it for what it is. A hundred percent. Well stated. And that's the thing, you know, Cheryl, I mean, you have bad apples and, it, you know, the first book I ever wrote was called The FBI Killer. It was the first and only that I know of FBI agent in history who went to prison for a murder. He cupped a manslaughter plea. He killed his informant, Susan Daniel Smith, in eastern Kentucky, Appalachia. And in essence, um, had he not failed his polygraph, had he not been pursued by other law enforcement, he was getting away with that. He was getting away with that murder 100%. And it was because he had a partner who kept his mouth shut. All right. When the girl went missing, the young woman went missing. She was pregnant and threatening him. The partner, Ron Poole, an FBI agent, knew all about it. And nobody comes forward. So this is, you know, this is, uh, and that's not, that's, again, it's a, it's a bad apple. It's a bad seed. Those are the kind of things that we've got to suss out. And, and in this case, look what happened. You have all these women who were murdered in Long Island. I don't care if they're sex workers. I don't care what they are. These are beautiful young women who are murdered and discarded. And that, co that cop, James Burke, has their blood on his hands, in my opinion. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. The FBI offered help. Other people, other experts even said this looks like a cop might be involved. And James Burke, after he violates somebody's civil rights, he's no longer chief of police. He gets punished. He gets out. How in the world does he not know that he is under such a microscope when he decides to go into a park, a Veterans Memorial Park there in Sussex County, and offers an undercover agent a sex act, exposes himself, and then is arrested again. It really is something where I, I since I do so much mental health, uh, it, the inability to control your impulses is a legitimate issue. And that really, it's the only explanation I can come to. But also, but also, let me and let me interject for a second. It's also, in my opinion, he enjoyed the idea that he thought he could continue to get away with this in his hometown, his home turf. Absolutely. There was some self-satisfaction and self-soothing of, hey, I'm so smart, I can do this. And I think that that's something he shares with the suspect in this case. Because it's exact kind of corollary behavior of, hey, as long as I keep all those external optics looking the same and looking smooth, I can get away literally with murder. And we see that comfort level with a lot of these more sophisticated uh, offenders is that they really get comfortable in their process. And, And unfortunately, it's when they make an error that law enforcement really has an opportunity to catch them. Uh, and in this case, with everything that's gone together, it doesn't surprise me that it took so long for an arrest to be made. My real question is a practicing or practicing criminal defense lawyer and a citizen who wants justice is what's the effect of this bad policing going to be on the prosecution? Is this hamstringing a prosecution in the way where it can't recover? I, I'd hate that. But the best appeals are made on the worst facts. This case has horrific facts. 
both of you made an excellent point. And just to piggyback, when he's arrested, he asked them, don't you know who I am? I know, right? Oh, my God. Do you know who I am? He tries to use his former status as chief of police to say, hey, better keep your hands off. You know, I love that. And, and we see that with ego all the time. And, and it's when in any public corruption investigation, anything where you've got someone used to being kowtowed to and having their influence and power respect, it, it's almost shocking to them. That, that a plebeian would come up and accuse them of some wrongdoing or demand a mandatory response. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. No man's above the law. No woman's above the law. That's the great thing about this country. It's not a perfect system, but I haven't found one better. Amen to that. And let's move on now. So he, when he's chief of police, he's got some cases that, again, anybody looking at them with an investigative lens should see that there's got to be a connection. There just has to be. He doesn't want outside help. Okay. But it also looks like he's not doing anything to solve these cases. The families have said they went years without hearing anything from anybody, that nothing was being done. And when the first bodies are found, it's almost a fluke. And hopefully some statistical and historical analysis of messages and orders is going to show his specific disparate treatment of this file, as opposed to other files where he was pursuing justice and was ordering people to do things. And I'll be really interested to find out what cases never got past step one because of his potential involvement. Were there other complaints involving him or uh, you know people that could have been the Long Island serial killer that he said, whoa, Let's let's not pay any attention or sign any resources to that. That's going to be a fascinating research project. And you know, I think when you when you talk about this, it makes me it makes me wonder. Um, you're probably right that he he would have stayed away from anything that's going to point the finger back at him regarding suspects within that field, with, with sex workers, with swingers, with, you know, any complaints of a rape, um, he's going to stay away from it. Well, y'all know how the FBI works. They're going to interview everybody and they're going to take those notes and they're going to file those notes. Well, you talk to 10 sex workers and what if they said, well, we don't know anything about the killer, but we know the chief of police. And it's those investigations that are so easy for another agency to just kind of push to the side because it didn't relate to our, the suspect that we know, it was about somebody else. So we're gonna put that in the somebody else pile. And and I, you know, I'm not saying it's bad intent, even though it kind of can look like that, but when the resources aren't applied, those leads basically never existed. And for all we know, there were multiple investigatory calls, notes, reports happening concurrently with this that were specifically uh, disregarded or pushed to the side either explicitly or inherently. And I really hope the FBI gets to the bottom of it because that would solve a lot of the problems. Well, I said from day one, I think this thing is going to be deeper and wider and uglier than most people understand. Let's talk about some of his computer searches just for a second. And this is Rex Huerman we're talking about. He looked up things, hundreds now, hundreds of searches on raping, torturing women, child porn, rape porn. He looked up 
the Long Island serial killer victims and their families. He Googled other serial killers. He, in a 14-month period of time, looked up over 200 times the Gilgo Beach investigation. I mean, it just goes on and on, but it gets more twisted. Girls begging for rape. Teen girl begging for rape. Pretty girl with a bruised face. Tortured redhead porn. Ten-year-old schoolgirl. Skinny redheaded girl tied up porn. Short fat girl tied up porn. Asian twink tied up porn. Girl hog tied tortured porn. There's a theme. There's a, there's a clear, undeniable theme. And I want to say again, grown people doing grown people things I have no problem with. But I want to be very clear on one thing. I've been to his home. I walked up and knocked on the door. I've seen it up close. And I'm just going to tell the two of you and everybody listening to me right now. If Walt McCollum came to me and said, hey, we're going to go to a sex party and it's going to be fabulous and there's going to be people from New York City there. What I would have in my mind is not that house. <laughs> you better be taking me. I, I'm, I'm serious now. I mean, I have known Walt since high school. And if he rolled me up in front of that house, uh, I'll have sex with you here in this car, but I ain't going in that house. It's weird because every architect I've ever known, you know, their, their lifestyle manifests their career. They tend to be really into how design works and appearance. It, that's just another one of those incongruities that doesn't land well with me. And I think it's because he spent so much of his bandwidth hiding and being someone that no one can find or research. Let, let me let me say this. I was also at the house and I was there when the um, police were doing the searches. I'm, and number one, I talked to a number of the neighbors. And as we know, the neighbors had no idea what was going on in there. Um, or nor did they know him. They said, you know, they'd see him walking to the train station in a suit, never talked to anyone. Uh, the neighbor who lived directly across the street talked to me and told me that, you know, he would see strange things like um, burn, the, the Rex human would be burning stuff in the driveway, you know, but not, but it was wood. It wasn't, it wasn't, but it was too much of it. It just seemed weird, but not to the extent that, boy, we should check this house out or the guy out, but the house was an eyesore. Like in the neighborhood, you look at it and you're thinking, this thing's, like you say, Cheryl, dilapidated. Right. I mean, that is not what I would have ever picked for a sex party. Like it just, I don't know. I don't know what I would have in my mind. I've never been to a sex party. But in my head, I need the plaza, y'all. I mean, like I need everything to be perfect. <laughs> but eyes wide, sh eyes wide shut. You know, it's got to have a little something to it, not something that I think needs to be condemned. And it just is shocking to me that that would be hosted there without everybody that attended talking about it. Again, this is a small world. I ran into somebody that I knew in Icy Straits, Alaska. I tell my children all the time, the world is so small. There's no way you're going to go out there and misbehave and people not know it. There's just no way. And that's before the internet that was true. So I'm just telling you now, good luck to the two of y'all because there's no way, my angels, that it is not going to be for God and country to read about in about two minutes. And it's not just that. It's the fact that there are then subgroups within these groups. And I, I, 
firmly believe that while lots of times this is a solo activity, I find it very difficult to believe his alleged enjoyment of all the crimes he committed was a solo activity because there's so much of an urge to share that kind of sexual deviancy. I think that there, it, it, the likelihood are, uh, of other people being witness to some of this is way bigger than we're giving credence to. And I think that explains a lot about what's going on with his wife, which is just fascinating from a criminal perspective. We literally have one of the best witnesses slash suspects making a film now about all this. And is that a distraction? Is that a defense? What What is going on with that? That's a good question, man. That is a great question. I say, let her do it, let her talk. That is state's evidence as far as I'm concerned. Talk it up, sister. But, you know, she's accused of being a swinger with him. And she's accused, uh, you know, there are witnesses who have said that she did take part or she was upstairs while it was going on in the house. So she knew something is wrong. She knew something. Now, she didn't maybe know he was a murderer, but she knew he was a pervert and that there were there's stuff that, in my opinion, she had to know that it was sexually twisted and that perhaps violence was involved in the house. I think that that dynamic deserves a lot more scrutiny because, you know, is it a daybell kind of thing where it appears that they were kind of co-equal together in their crimes? Or is it the dominant submissive where they're playing this role-playing existence that we don't know the rules of? They could make it up themselves, but the, 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 it's a sandbox. You can have all kinds of crazy relationships about truth and falsity and making th things up. That's how a lot of kind of the extreme sexual universe uh, can, uh, I don't want to use the phrase, get away with it, but justify their activities is by casting it as fantasy, which is then protected by the First Amendment, um, rather than acknowledging the purient nature and, and absolutely illegal concept of some of the things they claim to enjoy. Um, it, it, lots of people don't understand this. It is legal to make pornography and things that that indicate or, or show illegal acts, but are not real people. And, and it's delicate First Amendment stuff. There aren't good answers for it. You said very clearly, you feel like if you had ever walked into any of those clubs in Atlanta, that you would quite possibly see a judge. So again, then the very next Monday, you're going to be in front of that person you know, objection, Your Honor. And they're going to say, well, you weren't objecting Saturday. You know, you've got this whole, your lifestyle is now a part of your career, which gets muddied a little bit, I would think. Well, then you might get some, you know, go ahead and sustain, you know, they might give you a little extra because now you're in this sub world that I don't know anything about sitting at the prosecution table going, I can't believe she just let him get away with that or she sustained that motion? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. When I did the Epstein, when we were working on Epstein and people kept on asking us about the lists of passengers, who's on the path, who flew down there? And I'm like, man, here are the lists. And they're not names we, we don't know. They're super famous people. And we all thought it was absolutely reasonable that some of these very sophisticated, lots to lose people would be involved in non-traditional sexual activities, to be very, very polite. And here's the thing, when you bring up Epstein, Josh, and, and Cheryl, you know, I went to the Ghislaine Maxwell trial in New York, 
and attended the whole thing. Let me tell you something. I listened to those young women that now are older women that were talking about how traumatized they were as young women. Um, they seem, some of them, to be living in that past still. But Ghislaine Maxwell was his John. Full-throated participant. Absolutely. If, if not for her, these young girls would not have come to see an old man by themselves. And so the connection here, I think, is what was the role of Huberman's wife in making people feel comfortable in that house? Because that was Lane Maxwell did for Epstein. Every prostitution brothel of any size has a house mom. Every single adult entertainment club in America has a house mom. If you watched the YSL trial this month, the second state's witness was the house mom at the strip club where one of the crimes occurred. Because even though if you're not familiar with it, for a certain part of America, this sexual marketplace is part of their regular daily existence. It's their common courtesy. Think about OnlyFans and how huge it is and how celebrities that we never even would have thought of exposing themselves make millions of dollars a month. So the fact that Rex and, and other people allegedly found a robust support system, however small, but deeply interconnected, that's not the surprise. The surprise is, and the question is, how much did that universe protect criminals when they're murdering sex workers? Because do you expect them to come out and really uh, participate with questions, answers, admissions? No, they might have had a relation with that person. A lot of this stuff is quasi-anonymous or fully anonymous. So you don't want to be bringing, you know, castigation down on you, even by acknowledging that you know about this stuff. Well, here's a question for both of you. We had John Ray on not long ago, and he talks about some of the witnesses that have come forward that have signed affidavits that said they were at sex parties at that house. And one of them specifically said that she was taken there by a NYPD police officer. So if you've got police at these parties actively participating, they're not trying to bust this thing up. They're not trying to stop it. Or actively protect it. You know, every city has their poker games. A lot of those poker games have protection from law enforcement. Because law enforcement's either involved or on the take or there's some friend of a friend of a friend. The same is with purian activities and sex. Um, it, it is a well-known secret that the best steakhouses in Atlanta happen to have a population of drop-dead gorgeous women hanging out there during conventions that would love to talk to anybody from out of town. And they're very nice. And they make a lot of money providing uh, consensual companionship to America's movers, shakers, doctors, lawyers, bankers, business people. And it is an open secret. And Mac, I know you know a couple of them restaurants. You know where I'm talking about. Oh, I about. sure do, sugar. Absolutely. <laughs> it is no question when I go there at 11 o'clock at night, what I'm looking for, and I get, I'd get swarmed if I walked into them at 11 o'clock at night looking like I'm traveling business. But, you know, seriously, that's the thing that, again, blows my mind, going back to the former chief of police, Burt, why would you not go out of town unless it was just ego-driven? Because you could go to Miami. Honey, don't nobody know you in Miami. Nobody knows you in Kansas City. Go have the time of your life. 
you know, grown people can do grown people things. But, but, but here's the thing. Remember, he got caught in the 90s having sex in his uniform, in his police car, all right, with a sex worker. He enjoyed that domination over the sex worker, using his position as a, an authority in the law, okay, and abusing it. He enjoyed that. So why wouldn't he go out and continue to enjoy it and continue to throw his weight around, even though he spent time in prison for what he did to that heroin addict covering up his dirty sexual secrets, okay? He's, got, he's been able to cover that up all these years. He's been able to keep us from knowing who the serial killer is that he's supposed to be looking for in Gilgo Beach. So, hey, he's still empowered by his own ego and his own perverse drives and he's going to keep doing it right where he's at absolutely and I, I want to throw one more wrench into this dynamic and i'm friends with a lot of law enforcement and their spouses that there's a little bit of a of the badge bunny involved where there is a natural attraction between some people about you know my spouse wears a uniform and i can tell you many stories of extraordinarily consensual relations occurring between members of law enforcement and their paramours um, that almost all the time are just laughed off and don't do that again and don't get caught and, you know, turn your radio off. But it's that exact, very accepted dynamic. You know, I think we all understand that that's part of how attraction works is what the other person does for a living. But the spectrum eventually gets into the dynamic of power and control and this very unhealthy stuff, because clearly this police officer wanted to, or got off on his power trip, on his power and influence. And, and there's your problem, y'all. You can't have that. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com Well, looking at Huberman, there is evidence of bisexuality, being a swinger, going to sex clubs, hosting sex parties, going to prostitutes, having threesomes, orgies, S&M, bondage. He's got the works. Nothing was off the table with this man, it would appear, just from his internet searches alone, from what some of the witnesses are saying that are coming forward. So again, the idea that you've got a ex-chief of police that could not hide what he was about and what he was into, I find that extraordinarily unbelievable that he would not know from other sex workers what was going on in that house. He had to have known about it. I don't know that he was in the house, okay, but he knew about it and he met or knew who this monster was because there's no way you're going to miss somebody that tall and that big and and think, oh, no, it has nothing to do with the suspect that's been described. No, 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 no. He knew. My opinion. And to deny it is willful blindness. And I think we can all show that pretty easily. There's no way with the physical description and the importance the community was placing on dead women being found on the local beach that he didn't know all about this. And I, you know, part of me is really shocked that nothing came about, you know, even earlier. Because now in retrospect, we look at this and we're like, geez, no wonder those dots connect super cleanly. But you know, you take anything, let's say that the chief of police loves fly fishing or painting or whatever they may love to do as a hobby. If all of a sudden one fly fisherman is killed and shows up in your area, and then a second and a third and a fourth, you should be the main one coming forward going, wait a minute. We have to look at this. This is too odd. This is too unusual. Again, given his hobby of going to sex workers, you would think the first one that showed up dead, the second one that showed up dead, the third one that showed up dead, the fourth one that showed up dead, he alone would have even been saying to other people, what is going on? Like, we need to get a task force, maybe sub-level, to look at this. We need to put some people undercover out there to see what's going on. What's the word on the street? One thing I can absolutely tell you about sex workers is they've got the pulse of the street. They know. They know who's there. So a lot of times if we have somebody that goes missing or we have somebody that we believe we might have a serial killer, go ask them, who's been here? Anybody give you an extra hundred bucks to strangle them? Anybody give you an extra hundred dollars to act like something or do something really unusual? They will tell you because they know who's in your town. It's a sad commentary, but that's actually one of the most accurate images that we see in entertainment 
are the sex workers that really do have that pulse of the street because they they live in all the circles. They speak dope dealer, homeless guy, just like they speak banker, lawyer, doctor. And they, they can function across all those different levels of society. And because it's such an intimate service that they provide, they are privy to some outrageous stuff. I worked on a very prominent brothel case in Atlanta about 20 years ago. The black book had every important politician and lawyer in it going back. And it, of course, got squashed and squished. But the, the ladies, they were the best resource for the drama. And they knew everybody's votes on the floor. Let, let me say this, and we can't forget this. The sex workers, because it was sex workers who were killed, and we know about this forever and ever, decades, you know, you have people that are just not interested, okay, because it was a sex worker who was killed. And when I say not interested, I'm talking about, in particular, the police, because, hey, who cares about these women anyway? You know, they asked for it. That mentality or they put themselves in a position to be vulnerable, that mentality has been around for, for from the beginning of time, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. And then you have, who's going to believe these sex workers, okay? Who's going to believe that, oh, yeah, um, one of them came forward and said she had dinner with you or me. She's sure it was him because he was obsessed with and got very excited by talking about who do you think, how do you think that the Gilgo Beach killer was able to get those bodies over there to that beach? You think he brought them in uh, burlap bags that were camouflaged? And that sex worker got scared to death and did something she'd never done before, which is ask somebody to meet her in the parking lot. Um, later, continued to tell people that I think I had dinner with the Gilgo Beast serial killer. No one believed her. Nobody believed her. Why? The historical an analogy couldn't be more clear. What's the most famous worldwide serial killer of all time across all Western cultures? Jack the Ripper. And who did he target? Prostitutes. Yep. And they still don't know whether he was a poor man or an unbelievably wealthy one with a lot of great suspects coming from that upper echelon of sophisticated individuals. And, and the law didn't want to talk to the prostitute. What a fascinating analogy to exactly what we're seeing. And I don't think, Aphrodite, you could have said it any better. And Joshua, obviously, again, I'm agreeing with both of you 100%. But my point is going back to Burke for a minute with his proclivity of going to sex workers, I again say that he not only as a chief of police, but as somebody that frequented their company, had an obligation to go to them one-on-one -on -one and say, who has anybody scared you? Because let me tell you something. I guarantee there's one or more that had an interaction with Rex Hurman that said, I ain't going to F with that guy. He freaks me out. He's too weird. He wants something too twisted. He's too violent. He's too rough, whatever. When a person who makes their living dealing with people that want to do something to them they won't do to their wives or girlfriends, if she says she's not going to fool with this guy, should have been a red flag and Burke could have got to him two steps. Let's remember one thing. There are witnesses who saw Burke, okay, one of whom has said that 
He had rough sex with her and she witnessed him take a woman, drag her by her hair and throw her to the ground. So this guy, Burke, James Burke, is a twisted pervert who is sadistic. Okay. He is a sadistic sexual predator, just like human. I mean, I have four older sisters. Two were teachers, two were uh, flight attendants, then turned nurses. And I can tell you, even with the things that they think they might have been exposed to, they don't know this world. They don't understand this dark back page, back alley. Just they don't. They don't know. The amount of money that flows through adult legitimate businesses, let alone less than legitimate businesses, is absolutely staggering. In Atlanta, you are more likely to run into someone that works in or around a purient business than you are an employee of Coca-Cola or Home Depot or NCR or Mercedes-Benz or any of the other giant employers because we're a convention town. We're the biggest social destination for hundreds of miles, and the downtown area makes a lot of revenues based on people having a, a good time. So it, it, people are shocked at the money that flows through with a wink and a nod. I mean, again, you know, I don't have any problem grown people doing grown people stuff, making a living, no problem. But when you get into, I'm going to kill somebody and I'm going to mutilate and destroy and toss out like trash, and you've got literally a chief of police that could have, by his own contacts now, that's what I'm saying, he knew some people that could have found out some information and he could have had this thing sewn up, I believe, pretty quick. And he chose not to do that. The final thought I have is let's get to the bottom of not only what has happened to sex workers and all these 11 women in Gilgo Beach, but the other possible women who have been killed by Huberman in South Carolina, in Las Vegas. I mean, let's put this whole thing together. And we need a police force that is not only in New York State, but helped by the FBI, helped by others to make these connections and understand that these women matter. They matter. I kind of got two important takeaways from this. Number one is the importance, just like Aphrodite is talking about, where we need a deep dive, we need justice, and we need to get to the bottom of why so much didn't happen that should have, considering all these facts and connections, which are now so apparent. How did we possibly miss these? Where were the checks and balances to make sure these kinds of crimes couldn't be hidden by someone on the inside uh, so easily? Because that's really what it looks like. I find it uh, impossible that this police officer wasn't well aware of what was going on. And man, it sure looks like he might've had some touches on the file. Um, the other thing is, and this is the 10,000 foot view, I hope that we can make something good out of this tragedy and, and put a little bit more sunlight into this marketplace that we don't want to admit exists. And that's the adult universe. Um, we, we, we can't be afraid of it. We have to understand that it deserves uh, integrity and respect and some sunlight because otherwise we allow horrific things to happen. And so I hope we get a little bit more public recognition that these people are out there and that certainly these women who are working in this universe, 
deserve protection way more than we do uh, and we treat them right now. Aphrodite Jones and Joshua Schiffer, thank you so much for talking about a topic that's not easy for everybody to talk about, but in this particular case, I think is critical. I'm gonna end Zone 7 the way that I always do with a quote. Everything in the world is about sex, except sex. Sex is about power. Oscar Wilde. I'm Cheryl McCollum, and this is Zone 7. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.